everyone. Welcome to episode two of the Can't Not Say It podcast. I'm Matt, uh, just a brother in Christ digging into the scriptures and having some uh, captivating conversations about what's in the word. It's pretty awesome. This is my co-host and firstborn son, Isaiah Guerrero. How you doing, Isaiah? Hey, I'm doing good. Um, another evening. Looking forward to uh, jumping right in. This is going to be an awesome show. Um, hope you and yours are doing well to anyone that's listening. Awesome. Thanks, bud. Hey, well, uh, buckle up. We're going to go through kind of the beginning of the beginning. We're going to start with Genesis 1 and talk about some uh, some cool stuff, creation and fall and some uh, some interesting things. So stay tuned and uh, hope, to, uh, hope you enjoy the conversation. It'll be good. Welcome to the Can't Not See It podcast, where we examine the world through biblical lenses and curious frames. Deceptions all around, but when your eyes are open, you can't not see it. You can't not see it. Welcome, everyone, to the episode two, Can't Not See It podcast. Isaiah and I are going to jump right in uh, into uh, the beginning of the beginning. We're going to start at the beginning, Genesis 1. It's going to be awesome. Um, little caveat, though. Um, things to know. One, the Bible was not written in English. It was written in Hebrew. Well, at least the Old Testament was. Um, and so we're going to read from the New King James Version. It's just the version that we've had in our family for a long time. So it's the one that we have marked up the most. We are not like new King James only people. <laughs> we're not King James version only people. Um, we're whatever Bible you read the most people. Um, I think there's value in every translation and uh, multiple translations are good. So we're going to dig in um, just to kind of lay the framework and the foundation for more studies and more podcasts and discussions down the road. Um Anything uh, you think we should talk about or add, Isaiah, before we dig in? Yeah, first, um, I guess just a, a good disclaimer to make is that neither one of us are theologians. We're not Bible scholars. We don't have no formal training. I think I took like two Bible classes in college, maybe three, maybe. And so <laughs> we're just dudes that like to like to read, like to study, like to figure out what's going on in this very complex, yet somehow simple book. Not really simple, but you know what I'm saying. Um, so yeah, mm -hmm. just just let just laying that groundwork here. We're not we're not we're not anything special. Um, in my opinion, no one is. We're all just people trying to figure out how to how to serve a good God and understand His Word. Yeah. Um, with that being said, though, we are going to deep dive into this book. Um, we're going to try and lay a good foundation for how we view it and how we view the world through this first podcast, this not first episode, but second episode, first teaching episode. 
And uh, yeah, we're going to get the ball rolling here. It's going to be awesome. So with that, though, I think it's best to go to the Lord himself in prayer before we start this. So Father God, we come before you and we just thank you so much for this evening, for this um, time to spend in your word. Um, all of your all of your words are inspired as the book of as the as the author Timothy wrote in his epistle. And so we just thank you so much for uh, just that letter that you've given us to understand who you are and your plan throughout this crazy reality of creation that we find ourselves in. So we just pray, Lord, that you'd be with us. Um, if anything we say ends up not being true, just pray that it would fall on deaf ears, that um, it would be discarded quickly. But if anything we do say is true, Lord, I just pray that it would sink in with people and it would um, benefit people in their lives. We thank you, Lord. And we give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome, buddy. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, without any further ado, we're going to jump into Genesis 1 1. So if you want to grab your Bibles and read along, it's going to be awesome. So here we go. I'm not the greatest reader, too. So if I mess up, you just got to deal with it. All right. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Do you want to say anything like that? <laughs> Between verse 1 and verse 2. <laughs> Man, there's a lot there. Um, not yet. I'm good. Okay. We'll keep going then. We'll just we'll just kind of run through. and um, in Verse 3 then. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light. And it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So that's day one. That's awesome. Verse six. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself and on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament. There's that firmament word again. Lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth, and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created 
the great sea creatures and every living thing that moves in which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. I think, I think that's a good place to, uh, to cover some stuff. Yeah, that was a lot. Hey, might, might I say, by the way, you have a great reading voice. You ever thought about applying for a U version? <laughs> I think, uh, I noticed you, New King James Version doesn't have an audio Bible yet. So oh. I, I think, uh, I think we, we found our guy. That'd be a lot of reading. Maybe they can just record it and put it on AI and then it can just read it. <laughs> um, okay, no, look, cool, cool. Let's, uh, let's dig in. Yeah, that was a lot. That was a lot to cover. But what did we cover? First four days? Five? No, five, five days. Five days. Yeah. Okay. First five days. Perfect. Okay. Well, let's go back to the beginning and kind of chop that up. Yeah. What do you see there in verse one and verse um, two? Stay one. Well, kind of like I thought I, I found something interesting, an interesting uh, separation between day one and day four, actually. Yep. Okay. The separation of light and darkness mm-hmm. happened. The separation of day and night happened in um, that first day, but we read later on that the sun and the moon and the stars, the lights and the firmament weren't even created yet. They didn't were created till day four. So it just makes you wonder what was what was God talking about there. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I've thought a lot about that, and I've heard a lot of different things about it. But what would you what would you say? Well, now uh, I don't, that's a great question. Um, well, for first of all, on day four, um, it, it almost seems like the sun and the moon were created for signs and for seasons. So is that when time created as we know it? Was there time before that? It does say that there was day, there was evening and there was morning or there was day and night or whatever first day, mm-hmm. but like the measurement of time couldn't have happened yeah. from our perspective without a mm-hmm. sun and a moon and stars. Um, I don't know. What do you think about the light in verse one? Or, verse one. Yeah. Verse one, uh, three, I guess on the first day. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that, um something kind of interesting about that there is that light in the original language can mean multiple things so can darkness um one possible um meaning of light is illumination so mm-hmm. like a physical illumination light obviously but then also illumination in the sense of like a knowledge almost or or good goodness we see all over in the new testament um light referring to um the revelation of God and darkness uh, referring to like ignorance or stuff that's concealed. So I thought that might be kind of interesting. I've heard someone, I've heard a possible, um, I've heard someone say that it was possibly the coronation, if you will, of Christ as the, as the, the the salvation bringer for the earth, like in the Mm. plan of salvation, which I think it'd be kind of interesting to have, have that happen before, before the, um, before the creation of man and the fall of man, which we'll get to, but I thought it'd be, it's kind of, I don't know. That doesn't quite sit right with me. I think there's something different to it, but those are just kind of my, my initial thoughts on there. It is interesting how he says, then God said uh, in verse three, then God said, let there be light. And there was light and God saw the light, uh, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Hmm. That's pretty crazy. So what does that division look like or mean? I don't know, but yeah. I, I was hoping that you, you'd go back to verse one and verse two. Mm-hmm. Um, and talk about what some people see there and what your thoughts are on it. So 
Um, yeah, <laughs> this, 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 this is a trip. So the verse one says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse two says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Um, so there's this theory circulating around. A lot of people support it. A lot of people don't. I'm kind of torn right now. I'm not exactly sure where I definitively stand, but it's called the gap theory. That might sound um, familiar to any of you guys listening. Essentially, what they, the gap theory says is that there's possibly a time gap between Genesis 1.1 and Genesis 1.2. And the reasoning behind that is because of the original Hebrew phrase for the earth was without form and void. Um, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but I think the original phrase was tohu abohu or something like that mm-hmm. um, in the Hebrew, which means, which can be clearly understood from the Hebrew language as became without form and void. Mm-hmm. It was a possible translation of that. So I think the, the gap theory says that there was this pre- pre-biblical creation as we see it. Well, we just read through all the way up until day five that before that there was this destruction, there's this judgment on a pre, pre-existing earth age, um, which <laughs> is a lot. Um, that would change some things. That would definitely change some paradigms if that was the case. Um, where I stand on that personally is that I can't definitively say it from just the biblical text. Mm-hmm. So I can't say 100% that I agree with it because because I just don't know. Yeah, it, so it's pretty interesting. I, I don't think it adds or takes away from the gospel narrative. Like what we know is that, you know, we're all sinners and we need a Savior, right? It doesn't really do anything except for um, it just kind of makes that story a little bit more interesting. Like um, could it have been then when Lucifer found pride, right? Or Satan had pride built within himself. Was he the king of a of a realm or a domain? Um, that was needed to be wiped out and started over. I, I don't know. Uh, there's some some people think in Jeremiah, it alludes to that a little bit. Uh, yeah. But kind of like, like you, yeah, like you, I don't, I don't, I can't make a definitive stand. Um, I do know that I'll just, I'll just name drop real quick. Uh, in 1876, there was a guy named uh, George H. Pember who wrote a book, Earth's Earliest Age. It's a pretty cool book if you haven't read it. Um, it's it's definitely worth worth a, a read. Um, I would disagree on his cosmological stance, but um, it's pretty interesting. He was a big advocate for the gap theory, um, and in that gap theory, I think that uh, there's a discussion that comes up about the pre-Adamic race, right, Isaiah? Yeah. Um, and I just have I have no grounds to say yes or no if I buy into it, but it's interesting to know about. And so if you hear about those kind of theories or those teachings, like oh there was a pre-Adamic race and stuff like that, um, or there was this gigantic period of time between verse one and one one and one two, uh, don't shy away from it. It's always good to dig into, but just remember that it doesn't uh, change the whole of the gospel, which is the climax of the story anyway. Yeah, I think what, like. One more thing to add there is because you referenced, you mentioned Jeremiah. Um, and it's interesting because this passage that many people cite in Jeremiah, basically it uses the same phrase, became without form and void. I'll just read it. Jeremiah 4, 23. Um, I'll give you, I'll read from 22 in the, in the context. For my people, he's talking about Jerusalem, are foolish. They have not known me. They are silly children and they have no understanding. They are wise to do evil but to do good, they have no knowledge. 
then it says in 23, I beheld the earth. This is God speaking. And indeed, it was without form and void. And the heavens, they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and indeed they trembled. And all the hills moved back and forth. I beheld, and indeed there was no man. And all the birds of the heaven had fled. So I think that that verse, if people read that in a proof text type manner, where they just pick one verse out of the Bible and say, ding, 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 ding. We have the same, we have the same phrase, therefore. Right. But we got to understand, understanding the context of that passage. It's a prophetic, it's a prophetic statement from God, basically saying, basically sorrowing over a doomed nation. Basically, Israel yeah. had been in rebellion for God, rebelling against God's ways for so long that God's saying, you guys are going to be left desolate. He's basically saying, I beheld the earth formless and void. Basically saying, mm-hmm. once I, once after the destruction of this nation, it's going to be as if the earth was an utter ruin. So yeah, I think understanding the context of that prophetic vision, just because the same phrase is used there as it is in Genesis 1, doesn't mean there's a direct correlation. Right. Right. Like, right. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's interesting. And there's good, there's good biblical scholars who subscribe to that gap theory, but Mm -hmm. it's not definitively provable from scripture. And so it's not one to build theology on or divide or, or even argue over. It's interesting. And it can add, it can add interest to your imagination. Like, Whoa, that would be kind of crazy. Right. Like Mm -hmm. before, you know, there was a time before, right. Um, but that's all it is. It's speculation at this point, as far as I can tell, right? Yeah. And I can't remember who, who whose quote it was, but someone says it's the mark of an intelligent man to be able to entertain it, an idea without accepting it. So right. with ideas like that, like like my dad said earlier, said if you come across ideas like this, don't let it scare you. You can entertain right. an idea. Like you can daydream. What if? You can kind of mm-hmm. just imagine without having to accept it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so let's dig in a little bit more. So we uh, we talk about the light a little bit. Uh, so day one, uh, day two, uh, day two was a pretty interesting day, right? Um, it says, God, let, uh, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters um, and, it, uh, and let it divide the waters from the waters. So that firmament, that's an interesting thing. That's the Hebrew word rakia. And it means uh, molten or spread out or solid. Um, and it means basically a dividing separation, right? It's like a container. Um, yeah. And so uh, that that word we'll dig into a little bit later on the podcast where we where we kind of like jump right into biblical cosmology. But I just wanted to point that out. And just as you're reading through Genesis chapter one, just make a note at how many times you see that word firmament. Now, in some of your translations, it might be expanse. And that's just a horrible botchery of the of the Hebrew word rakia. It is firmament. It means solid, solidity, firm. Yeah. So I'll break that down real quick, real quickly. Mm-hmm. Rakia, the the Strong's definition. I I I should have written down the actual Strong's number from the concordance, but um, you guys can you guys can fact check us all you want. Um, but it means extended or expanded surface. But the root word of rakia is raka, which means to beat, stamp, beat out, or spread out. So quite literally, the firmament means a beaten out, solid, extended surface. Basically, if you just take the root and then the word to put them together, it means you got an extended surface that's beaten out as if a stone or as if a um, 
an iron worker was was beaten um beaten a cast into a into a solid shape that's kind of what that's yeah. symbolizing there so uh the 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 number in the strongs for raka is 07554 mm-hmm. um and for rakia it comes from 7554 and what it says uh, is properly an expanse i.e the firmament or the visible arch of the sky firm it's pretty cool um so there's something up there and just talking about that firmament real quick like a lot of um, old creationists would say that that's a nice canopy or something like that over the globe but um we'll dig in a little bit deeper and we'll kind of uh, explore that it's definitely not an ice canopy <laughs> it's definitely not a globe but and we'll keep going with that oh, did, we're we're just laying the foundation right now we're going to yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to do a deep dive into this in a future episode so stay tuned if this piques your interest yeah, right now we we'll just kind of want to we're just teasing the ideas as we go along here yep um so let's see day so day 3 as what was that all about that was gathering the land, which is literally earth. So when, whenever in the, in the in this first chapter, when God says earth, that mm-hmm. that translation of the word earth just means land. This means dry it, land. It's not saying the whole planet. It's just saying land. That's all land. earth means. Yep, that's all earth means. Just a dry land. So what is what's interesting here is he says, "Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let dry land appear." And God called the dry land earth. Okay, so all the water was gathered together, and so dry land appeared. So that that might be a hint for a Pangea type of continent, like a one land mass. Mm-hmm. I kind of think it was because we'll 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 explore a little bit later in Genesis ten when we see the days of Peleg. There's something that happens, but we'll talk about that later too. Um, so you got the light, you got the firmament. He's 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 gathering all the water. He's got the dry land appearing. Um, and then on day four, like Isaiah mentioned before, we got the sun, the moon, and the stars. Right, mm-hmm. Isaiah? Yep. Um, oh, let me go back. On the third day, I forgot. Um, after the dry land appears, it says, Then let uh, the earth bring forth grass and herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its own kind, whose seed is in itself. So just remember that that line right there, according to its own kind. It's very interesting that when God creates things, he puts very um, clear lines of distinction for each thing that he creates. Okay, And so you'll see that repeated over and over again, according to its own kind. It's very important. God um, didn't make this uh, wishy-washy, confused, mixed-up creation. It was like these eagles are eagles and seagulls are seagulls. And they're never going to be an eagle seagull, <laughs> right? Like they're, 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 they're of their own kind. Or you have horses and you have cats. You're just never going to have a course. You got cats and you have horses. They're never going to mix because they're going to reproduce after their own kind. And they're going to reproduce after their own kind. So that's a, a very important distinction to understand, especially in Genesis as we lay this foundation. Yeah. Um, let's see. So that was day three. Day four, the sun the moon, the stars. What's really cool about day four, and he talks about the sun, moon, and stars. He says he made two great lights, two great lights, one to govern the day, one to govern the night, as we know the sun and the moon. And then he says, and he made the stars also. That tells you that the stars are different than the sun and the moon. There's a hint there. But really what it's all about is just a gigantic clock. It's really cool. We'll dig into that more. It says that they were made for 
Let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. It's pretty cool. The, the, the whole celestial sky that we get to enjoy every single day and every single night is just this gigantic heavenly clock that God's created for us. And this this goes right back to this goes right back to the first day. I just seeing this in verse 18. I mean, I'm not just seeing not just seeing this for the first time, but it's jumped out to me again. It says, uh, set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth at 17, 18, and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. Well, in mm -hmm. uh verse five of chapter one, God says, um, he called the light day and the darkness he called night. Um, in verse four, he says, and God divided the light from the darkness in verse four. So a division of right. light and darkness happened on the first day and the fourth day, which means there's a difference there. It's interesting. Yeah, so but they, they must be a different kind of light and a different kind yeah. of darkness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. Food for that, food for that. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Okay, so that was day four. Mm -hmm. um, and then we got through day five, right? Which was the sea creatures and the birds. And the birds, right? All flying creatures. Yeah. And in day five again, we see that it says, um, what does it say? Oh, where am I here? It says, oh, yeah. Um, and God made the, oh, that's day six, sorry. Um, so God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves. Uh, with which waters abounded according to their kind, according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. It's very important to remember that. Yeah, we'll we didn't come from later. fish, guys. We didn't come from fish. We didn't come from fish. Yeah, that's just a hey, right there is a biblical um, like mic drop on evolution, right? Mm -hmm. Like evolution says, you know, primordial soup, somehow tadpoles. <laughs> somehow grew fins, hit the beach a million, billion times and grew legs and climbed out and, and, and turned into all the life that we see now. No, that's not how it worked. It's absolute fallacy and ridiculousness. So right there in the Bible. So, so when you hear people that are trying to uh, mate science and religion, right? And they try to make Darwinian evolution fit into biblical creation, it just does, it, they are absolutely incompatible. Yeah, you have you to leave one or the other. You have to throw the whole Bible in a blender, mm -hmm. blend it up, and find some way to drink it. I guess I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So, because just, just a hint on that a little bit is that the Book of Genesis was written by a character we'll go into later named Moses at a time when he went up to a mountain called Sinai and with spent forty days and forty nights with God Himself face to face. Basically, God giving him the five first books of the Bible, the Torah. Um, so all the people that, 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 that believe in this theistic evolution perspective of, oh, you can, you can fit the Darwinian evolution into the biblical narrative. They say that the entire Torah basically was all poetry and allegorical mm -hmm. language. And it's really hard for me to believe that God face to face would romance Moses with a poem instead of just telling him how it is. To lay right. that foundation for what people are to believe about him. It just make, it makes no sense. It makes no yeah. sense. Yeah. And it really, really what it does is it makes God to be a liar. It does. Because God, the creator, he knows how he created his, his creation. And he knows how to communicate to his creation better than, well, anybody. Um, so 
with that said, that just sparks sparks the memory of one of my favorite verses in Isaiah 2 is Romans 3.10, right? Uh, or 3.4, sorry. <laughs> Romans 3.4, let God be true and every man a liar. Am I saying that wrong? No, that's not. Right. Romans, Romans, Romans 3.4. It's 3.4, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, let God be true and every man a liar. Super important to remember as you're digging into the scriptures and you hear all sorts of interpretations from man or uh, the secular world saying, we can't believe this, this is poetry, or this is just allegory or whatever. Um, yeah, there are allegories in the Bible. There are parables and metaphors, but um, there's also absolute, just straight up history and truth. And God's not a liar, but yeah. we sure are. Men sure are. And yeah. so you well, can I always, was going to say, you always, yeah, yeah you can always say that, faith in the, in the word. Yeah. And I was going to say that extends to us too. Like let God Absolutely. be true and every man a liar. We're both mm -hmm. men. We get things wrong all the time. I, I would say that definitively so many times I've been wrong about stuff and I've Realize, oh no, I need to go back and reevaluate yeah. a bit. So, just yeah. for anyone listening to this, don't take anything that we say at our word. Take it back to the source. Search the scriptures for yourselves. Um, check everything we're saying, and pray that God will reveal reveal the truth of His word to you. Cool. So, yeah. yeah. Let's, let's keep All right. Let's continue. Let's continue with the text real quick. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Sure. All right. So we're verse what twenty four says. Uh, yeah, verse 24, then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also, to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So that's pretty cool. Again, you heard how many times God said, according to their kind, right? Very important yeah. distinction. Um, and Anything to touch on on day six, Isaiah? Well, I was just going to say kind is different than species, too, because general adaptation mm -hmm. is a provable scientific fact. We see examples of that all the time, right? You see right. A, bir a bird that can't survive in its environment and it grows a different colored beak to scare away predators. Happens mm -hmm. all the time. Um, but that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about kind. You've never, there's no physical example ever proven of a cat turning into a dog or of a mm -hmm. Tyrannosaurus Rex turning into a chicken. Just, mm -hmm. It's it's yeah it's not there yeah easily refutable um i'll let you i'll let you go back to um verse 26 i think you can touch on that if you want to i don't know that was, yeah I, I was thinking about that's what caught my attention but yeah okay so back in verse 26 says let uh, then god said let us 
make man in our image according to our likeness so that's awesome uh we actually had a conversation about this uh recently and um so the traditional uh christian teaching on that is oh look that's the trinity right there in genesis chapter one Uh, let us god must obviously be talking to god the father god the son and god the holy spirit let us make man in our image there are contradictory or I guess uh, there's other there's other ideas about what that means, actually. Um, um, and do you want to elaborate on that? I know that you you were kind of talking about that earlier, Isaiah, uh, Dr. Michael Heiser's perspective on that and who he is, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, name drop, Dr. Mm-hmm. Michael Heiser. Um, may he rest in peace. He recently yep. passed away. Yeah, um, so sad. So sad. Um, literally lived within, what, 40 minutes of us, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, pretty crazy. We won't reveal that information, but I just thought that was pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. Anyways, the man is brilliant. He's a, I think he has multiple PhDs in Eastern Semitic languages, which Hebrew, Aramaic, all those, all the languages of the Bible. He knew them like the back of his hand. He could read them fluently. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but he 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 teaches very well on the distinction here of then God said, "Let us make man in our image." So. In, in all of chapter one, we see God as God. Well, that, that, that term G-O-D, in Hebrew, it's a term that means it's, it's called Elohim. E-L-O-H-I-M, Elohim. The interesting thing about Elohim is it's a plural word in the Hebrew language. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, it means divine entity, divine being, spiritual being, disembodied spirit, um, it's, it's mentioned, it's angels all over the place are called Elohim. There's a verse in, uh, one of the, is it one of the Kings where mm-hmm. Saul brings up the spirit of, uh, of, of a prophet and the, the witch who conjured him up, calls him an Elohim basically mm-hmm. just means spirit. That's not in a body. So, yeah. um, everywhere that God's mentioned in all of chapter one, it's Elohim, that word. It's not until into chapter two that he's given his direct name, Yahweh Elohim, which you'll see later on to be the Lord God in English. It's Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim. So let us make man in our image. So that's, I believe, Michael Heiser teaches that the us there isn't referring to the plurality within the Godhead, as we mm-hmm. think about as, as typical Christian tradition. But instead, he's talking about God's announcing to his heavenly host, saying, we're going to make a new being that resembles us, that resembles the spiritual nature, but we're going to make him in the context of physical earth, almost. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he has a fun analogy. It's, it's as if not saying that the angels took part in creating humans, but um, basically saying basically saying God's allowing them to be with him when he does it. Let us create man in our image. So basically if I told a bunch of my friends, hey, let's go to the restaurant and get food. But I drove them all there. I paid for the food and placed the order. And then we all ate of it and enjoyed the benefits of it. Right. That's kind of what that's saying there. God's saying, let us make man in our image, even though he's the one that directly created man, as we'll see later. But that's just a fun, that's just an interesting distinction to make there. I thought. It's cool. It's how God invites his celestial family to participate mm-hmm. in what he's doing in creation it's pretty cool yeah awesome that was an excellent uh, explanation thank you well, thank you um and so we got through all six days right yeah 
Okay, cool. We're going to jump into chapter two real quick. We'll hit this real fast. Uh, okay, so chapter two, verse one. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. This, so this is awesome. Uh, verse four, it's kind of interesting. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God. So that like Isaiah had just mentioned, that's the first mention of the Lord God, whereas all those other places, it was just God, Elohim, like Isaiah said. But here it's the Lord God. And anytime you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in the Old Testament, it's Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. It's the name of God. yod heh vav heh Yahweh is however you want to pronounce it. I just say Yahweh. Um, I actually heard this really cool teaching on a meme. It's crazy, right? You can learn a bunch of stuff from memes, right? Uh, but it was like this lady was teaching that it was the breath, right? Yah would be the inhale. That's the name of God, right? Because it's his living breath that gives life. Yahweh. It's pretty cool. Anyway. Well, yeah, I've also seen stuff talking about the DNA sequence. Basically oh, really? how the amount of chains in our DNA helix or whatever you want to call it. Oh, um, okay. Like it's it's basically I think it's like the space between the chains or however the sequence is like the the numbers of it match up with the numerology of the name of Yahweh in oh, a repetitive wow. form, like built into our coded into our DNA. I don't know. Weird. Wow. I, I look more into it, but it's pretty crazy. Like it's that's it super lines up cool. it lines up perfectly. It's pretty, pretty that's super cool. I mean, that's just exactly how God would do stuff. Yeah. Like his fingerprints are kind of all over the place. Um, so anyways, in, uh, this is the first word, place where it says Lord God or Yahweh Elohim, right? So, um, yeah, so he says, uh, this is, a, so back on verse four, this is the history of the heavens of the earth when they were created in the day that Lord, the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the field was in the earth, before any herb of the field had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. It's pretty cool. Really cool. What do you think about that chat that verse seven, Isaiah? Well what do people what do people say about that sometimes? A lot of times people, people, so people, like we heard the Krishna man in day six, right? When it says, uh, what does he say? He says back in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Mm -hmm. um, so people look at that and then they skip forward and read uh verse 7 of chapter 2, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils. And they'll say, okay, are there two separate creations of man there? Mm -hmm. Kind of makes you wonder, right? Because another thing though, another thing here is that that's clearly after, in, in the day 6 account of the creation of man, it's very well after um, the lands are filled with vegetation and plant life, all the animals are there, lights, lights are already there, and so basically the last creature to be made was man mm -hmm. in day six. But in here it says before any plant of the field 
was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground so it skips the creation of all the animals the lights in the firmament all that and it goes right to the creation of man so a lot of people sure. they will say I wonder if that's a generic creation of the thing called humanity in the first in the in the day six creation and then he creates this special man, Adam, Adam, mm -hmm. which is the Hebrew word for man. Um, he creates this specific man for God himself to be the caretaker of God's garden. I'm not sure you can go there with the text. It seems like because chapter two is the first time you get the Lord God, it seems like it's narrowing in on the story that's already been presented to us. Right. It's kind of what it seems like. Because it yeah. restarts it, it says, this is the history of the heavens and the earth. When they were created in the day the Lord God made the earth and the heavens in chapter four or in a verse four of chapter two. Mm -hmm. So it seems yeah. like he's like, here, this was all the history. And now we're going to take a narrow look at it in a more personal tone. God, the Lord God created man, breathed into him the breath of life. So it's, it's almost like giving a closer of magnifying look of what happened. There. So I don't know. Yeah. What, are your, what are your thoughts? I agree. I agree with you. I think um, <clears throat> I, I don't see really any great reason to think that there was like a separate race created and then Adam was separate. I don't, I don't see that really in the text. I think that what we're seeing here is what's called like a parenthetical look, like in the book of Revelation, like you'll see, um, you know, chapters. Oh, goodness, like uh, like four, five, six, seven, I think. And then you'll have a parenthetical look, eight, nine, ten, eleven. And then a parenthetical look uh, in chapter 12, 13, yeah. 14. And then, it, so I think that, I think that it's just kind of looking a little bit closer at that day six event. Um, and there's no real contradiction there. It's just like further detail. There's, yeah. It's kind of what I, it's kind of where I land. Yeah. Um, let's keep going. Let's talk about how uh, Eve came on the scene. Uh, we'll just touch that real quick. We're not going to like read through all of chapter two, but. Uh, chapter 2, 15 through 25 is pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, it says, so we'll skip a little bit about the Garden of Eden and stuff like that. But it says uh, in verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone, and I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he could call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that's that was its name. And so Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God created a deep sleep, or sorry, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh, flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man uh, made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
uh, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh and they were both naked the man and his wife and were not ashamed <clears throat> yeah so pretty cool pretty cool stuff in there uh some of the jumps right off the page to me is adam um even in this story with eve is a type and shadow of jesus christ and his church mm-hmm. so adam had to be put down so that so that eve could be brought out right mm-hmm. deep sleep fell over him the rib was pulled out formed out uh, eve out of his rib and then he was woken up jesus like adam had to be put down so that his bride could be brought out it's pretty crazy. Like it's not a, a tit for tat kind of comparison, but it's definitely a type and shadow, right? Jesus had to die so that the church could be born. He had to pay the price for us so that we could be birthed, right? Into yeah. the family of God as the bride of Christ. So it's yeah, a pretty cool picture if you think about it. And it's interesting that Adam says, and this is flesh of my flesh. Or in, in the new covenant, as we'll, re, as we'll cover later on in future episodes, um, Jesus institutes it by saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he takes bread, basically saying this, my flesh being broken is what's going to allow you guys, allow the church to be born, which is, and the church is called the bride of Christ, which is just mind blowing. It's mind blowing. So cool. (laughs) Another thing also that jumps out right away is uh, verse 24, where it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So there is no uh, gray area. It's mm-hmm. one man, one woman. That was God's intended plan. So any of the uh, Rainbow Coalition that wants to try and say that, you know, Jesus would endorse uh, homosexual behavior, there's just no leg to stand on. I'm sorry. There's other areas in the whole Bible too, but like right here, the design, right? Remember, God is very specific according to its kind, right? This is my design, for the family unit, one man, one woman, serving God. That's and pretty we'll, cool, right there in chapter two. And we'll see what happens later on in the story when man right. or other things try to distort God's design. Oh, yeah. It's not good. It's not good. Not good. Okay, it's now not, we're going to jump. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, well, I was going to say it's it's not good because God institutes judgment, but it's also not good because there's consequences. There's physical consequences on humanity every time humanity tries to do something like that. We'll see yeah. that later on. So it's yeah. always just, it's always the best idea to stick with God's original plan. God's original uh, plan. Amen. Okay. So uh, uh, chapter three, we're going to talk about the fall of Adam and Eve real quick. Um, just kind of like, like Isaiah and I said in the beginning, this is just kind of laying the framework for like, like all of the rest of any conversation or Bible study that we have. You got to go to the foundation. You got to understand like the beginning, like we believe. Eve, Genesis is literal. We believe that God actually created the earth the way that he says that he does. Uh, we, we believe that Adam and Eve were the two first people ever created, and they were yeah. seduced, tempted, as we're about to read, to rebel against the Most High God. And that's what's caused all sin, all death, all pain, all curse on all of mankind. Um and so we're going to dig into that real quick. So I just yeah, want really, to like throw that out. Really, we're just giving you guys a taste on how we read the Bible. Yeah. We're, we're yeah. like this all the time. Trust me. If you guys are thinking, yeah. wow, you guys are making nuclear bombs out of <laughs> bottle rockets. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's just kind of how we are. We 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 don't skip over small details. We kind of like, 
Yeah, we'll, we'll find this small thing. So we dig in. Bear with us, guys. All right, so here we go. Genesis 3, uh, 1 through 7. So if you want to read along, please do. Um, it says, now the serpent, now that word serpent too is pretty interesting. It's Nakash. We can talk more about that later. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Hmm. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took it of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Interesting. Hmm. What do you think, Isaiah? Um, Anything? Well, I think something that just, like you said earlier, jumps off the page is that God never told Eve that you can't touch it. Right. Not, ex- not explicitly. So yeah. already the very, the first thing that leads to temptation is you see the devil tempting mankind to not flat out rebel against God, but first just twist his word a little bit, add yeah. something to it just a tiny bit or take something away just a little bit. And you're already on the wrong path. Yeah. No, no, um, right. I'd like to jump. I'd like to jump right into the, uh, the threefold lie that Satan told uh, Eve about yeah. the fruit. Um, so he says, so he makes three promises. It's pretty interesting. He says, you will, you will surely, you will not surely die. Right. Mm. So what's interesting is he's kind of saying it, it's kind of a promise of an immortality. Right. If I look at it, the way I look at it, that's kind of a promise of immortality, which they already have. Right. Adam and Eve were created immortal. So yeah. he's telling them, Hey, you won't die contradictory to what God had told them. Then he says, for God knows that in the day that you eat, your eyes will be opened. So there's this promise of immortality. There's this promise of illumination, of wisdom, right? That's like the great, like we all seek knowledge and we all want to understand, but like there's actually an unhealthy chase, right? For gnosis, right? Knowledge. Um, I mean, we want to be, we want to understand things. We want to seek truth, I think, but not to the extent that we need to go and rebel against God, right? If God says, don't go look in there, don't go look in there. Uh, and wh- what do I mean by that? Like, what could that apply to? Like, you know, when I was uh, in college, um, we did all sorts of interesting things. We smoked marijuana and we did drugs like that. And it was all, you know, well, I mean, a lot of it was for fun, whatever, let's be honest. But a lot of it was like in this pursuit of understanding more. And in those realms, there's a danger, a big danger. And so I think even though it's tempting to like have your eyes open like that, it's dangerous and we shouldn't do it. Um, And then, and then also it says, uh, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So there's this like Godness element to it. So 
I, I see that at work today still, Isaiah. I don't know if you do, but I, I see that the Satan still, the lie of Satan is still active today of trying to promise immortality, right? Like conquer aging, conquer death. You don't want to grow old. You want to stay young forever. You don't want to, you don't want to be old. You want to like be able to download your consciousness into technology or 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 modify your genetics to turn off the aging gene or whatever. That's a lie of Satan. Um, your eyes will be open. Further illumination, right? Uh, Daniel, in Daniel, it says, you know, uh, knowledge will increase, right? And it certainly it certainly has, but like even in like the secular world all around, like knowledge has like exponentially increased. And we have almost, I wouldn't say infinite knowledge, but we have like so much information right at the tip of our fingers with our phone. Like you want to know something, Google it. Boom, it's right there. Um, and then the last one is be like God, right? Like that's man's pursuit is to be our own gods, right? Yeah. To, to take control of our own will, right? And But what did Jesus say, right? Like your will be done right on earth as it is in heaven but what is like like if you look at like the the the, the satanic bible like the the, the sum of the whole law is do what thou wilt like that's satan's whole allure is like hey you do what you want to do you do it your way um and it's just dangerous and that's just the same threefold lie that, that that the serpent deceived eve with he's still deceiving people mankind and us today um, so that's 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 pretty important to understand i think and see is it what I can't remember what book is it laid out. Is it one is it first, second, or third John where he explicitly says it's the uh, lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life? Mm -hmm. Right. Like if you if you look intricately at the details, um, it says the woman saw that the tree was good for food, so she saw with her eyes. It's the lust yeah. of the eyes. Um, that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree, and it was desirable to make one wise. So that's like kind of like your pride of life, like you want to be yeah. wise. Yep, your position. And then, and, then, yep. and then the good for food is lust of the flesh, right? Like, like what does your body yeah. want? It wants to eat. So you see that the the, the lust of the eyes. She saw with her eyes that it looked desirable. Um, she saw that it was good for food. That's satisfying your flesh. And then she saw that it would make her wise, which is the pride of life. It's the same three lies. And I think something yeah. that you said that was interesting. The interesting link was um, the whole scope of the enemy's lies today is to achieve immortality in our fallen nature. And I think mm -hmm. that that was really catapulted by the scientific revolution. Like we, we hyped that, that moment up as like this big enlightenment for mankind, but really like the, paving the way to the introduction of evolution was basically saying that if we take God out of the picture, then Satan can convince the world that they want to live forever in the state we're in. Yeah. Because I don't know about you guys, but my body hurts every single day and I would not want to live forever in this thing. But when we have such an amazing hope of right. being redeemed, knowing that we weren't always like this, that we were supposed to be something we rebelled and fell, but then God graciously allowed a way for us <clears throat> to be redeemed and regenerated, reborn, if you will, back into our original design. Why would we want, why would we want, to live forever in our painful flesh right now. And I think that's what the devil's trying to do. So he's trying to convince us that there's no progression, that there's no, that there's no, that there's no way that we're going to be rescued. So we have to basically get there ourselves. I think. Well, it's funny. It's funny too, because like, it's funny in two ways. One, Satan deceived Adam and Eve, 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 
and then and, and also Adam with what they already had, right? They already mm-hmm. had immortality. They walked with God. They saw him in the garden. Like how much more illumination do you need? Right. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. uh and then you will be like God. Like, dude, you were created in his image. Like you are the closest thing to God that there can be on the physical realm, right? Like he made you in his image to be his imager on the earth. Now, what's crazy is Satan tries to promise them those things, right, that they already had. Mm. He promises us those things. But what's interesting is Jesus does too. Jesus does. If we if we are born again, if we die, if the old man dies and we are born again, right, we enter eternal life, right? Um, we get empowered and educated by the holy spirit like we know the unknowable like paul talks about it's Mm. pretty cool and one day we will get to be with god and i believe he'll show us anything and everything it's going to be great and then also it says we become partakers of the divine nature so everything that satan is trying to lure us down this road of rebellion to it's the same thing but a counterfeit of what jesus christ actually offers so it's pretty cool when you look at it that way, and all you have to do is repent and make him the Lord of your life, and you can have those things. You can literally live forever, and you will get to be with God and talk, partake of that divine nature. It's pretty crazy. And, that, and that's the beautiful That's the beautiful thing, too, is that say, all, Satan's promise is always out of catch, right? It's always, oh, you have to do this. You have to eat of the fruit. You have to do this. Christ says, mm-hmm. no, I've already done it. All you have to do is trust me. I think that's like the coolest thing right there is that you just show the goodness of Christ's promises versus the wickedness of the devils. Yeah. Like they could be promising the same thing, but just the way to get there is through the devil. It's full of darkness, wickedness, and in a basically an impossible path. Like no one can ever achieve enlightenment on their stuff. Let's be real here. We're all, (laughs) none of us are capable doing that on ourselves, but Christ says, no, I will bring you along. Like I'll give you the right to become sons of God. Like you were always meant to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Perfected without sin. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, one thing I was just wondering, like just struck my mind because of how Satan works and how he tempts people. I wonder, and we'll talk about this more when we get to like revelation and some prophetic, some prophecy talks, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, eschatological discussions. Um, I just wonder about the mark of the beast. If it's going to be the same threefold lie, like, hey, surely you won't die, right? Your eyes will be open and you'll be like God if you take this, right? Because in Revelation, after those who take the mark, they seek death and can't find it. It's like, ooh, that's interesting. Maybe mm-hmm. there's this allure to it. Maybe it's not just a do this or die, but there's like this really positive allure to it. I'm sure there will be. All right, let's continue on before we get super distracted. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, Adam and Eve, they rebel. They they disobeyed God. They fell for Satan's lies. Um, God comes down. He pronounces some judgments on them um, through some of these verses. He talks about uh, the curse. Uh, uh, but there's this one prophetic statement that I want to read real quick so people understand that there's the very first Messianic prophecy in Revelation 3.15. And this opens up uh, some understanding for a lot of, of things that we're going to be talking about in the future. So, oh, you mean you mean Genesis three fifteen, right? Yeah, what did I say? Revelation. Uh, yeah, Genesis three fifteen. Sorry, no, we're not at the back of the book. We're still and in front. Messianic means like 
having to do with the Messiah. Messiah is, is, right. the, is the original term for Christ, like Jesus Christ. Christ wasn't his last name. It was his title. Right. He is the Christ. <laughs> he is the Messiah, the Savior. Like the anointed one is what that word means in the original Hebrew language. So just if yeah. we ever say messianic, it means having to do with the Messiah, which is Jesus. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Isaiah. I forgot about yeah. Um, so in, in Revelation, in Genesis three fifteen, it says, and I will put enmity, this is God speaking, I will put enmity between you, talking to the serpent and the woman, and between your seed, the serpent seed, and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise, and, or sorry, and you shall bruise his heel. So this is interesting, um, because one, the serpent has seed, offspring, and two, she has seed. But we all know in biology, females don't carry seed. Men do. Females carry eggs. So this is interesting. It's kind of an allusion to the virgin birth of Jesus Christ later on. It's pretty awesome when you think about it that way. Um, there's this upcoming battle between the serpent seed and the Messiah or Christ. Um, but it says, he shall bruise your head. Right, that's Jesus. He's going to crush the head of the serpent, and you shall bruise his heel. That's an allusion to the crucifixion, which is pretty wild. So Satan immediately after at the serpent, right? We can we can assume it's towards Satan or towards the spirit behind the serpent. Um, immediately is like, uh oh, I got to do something about this her seed. I got to do something about this seed that's coming from the woman right away and so that's a pretty interesting little thing or piece of piece of knowledge to know um and then let's jump to 322 through 24 real quick uh before we move on and then we can talk about potential seed war <laughs> <As I say. laughs> yeah. all right so genesis 322 wow. says then the lord got <laughs> then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, in a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Hmm. That's pretty crazy. So basically, God was like, he's fallen. He's under the curse. We don't want him to eat from the tree of life because he'll stay, he'll live forever in that condition. Um, Interesting that that was an act of mercy at the same time as it was a judgment. Yeah, I would. Yeah, definitely. Like, definitely. It's like a quarantine. Yeah. Um, what's interesting though, like <laughs> if we go, if we go back where uh, God says, "If you eat of this tree, surely you will die." In the day that you eat of it, you will die. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Remember that when we talked about that earlier? Yeah. Uh, I can't remember which verse it was, but in the day of you, in the day that you eat of it, you will die. Right? Yeah. What was that? Oh, that was in Genesis two chapter or um sorry verse 16 and the lord god commanded them commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden you may freely eat but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die so um 
interesting about that day, and we'll see this in in some other studies too. But in Second uh, Peter and three eight, in, yeah, Second Peter three eight, yeah, and Hosea six, I think, right? Hosea six. Uh, I think so. Um, there's an allusion to um, a thousand years being a day and a day being a thousand years, and so we'll talk a little bit more about that. But if you want to read Second Peter three eight, that'd be awesome. Yeah, but that's a, that's a common that's a common flawed refutation of the Bible that you'll hear from a lot of atheist scholars, and they'll say, "Oh, well, Adam didn't clearly die the day that he ate the fruit." Well, Second right. um, Peter three verse eight says, "Remember this one thing: a day of the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day." So basically, it's saying that um, just as we can think of a day as a twenty-four hour period, the Lord can think of a day as one thousand whole years, a millennium, and He can also see a thousand years as one day so it's 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 like okay that 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 refutation falls short many times because it's uh, that same principle is also mentioned in an extra biblical text called jubilees i believe right where it clearly says that adam died that adam fulfilled that saying by not living past a thousand years because no human in existence has ever lived past a thousand years methuselah was the closest one and he was 969 years Mm-hmm. So I think that it let me just show that that from the text itself that, that that's not a problem. So right, that's all. It's not a problem. No, that's good. So just so just so you know, right? He did he did actually die in in that day. Surely that day you'll die, right? He did within a thousand years. He died. So well, um, yeah, perfect. Good explanation, Isaiah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, so that was uh, Genesis three, kind of the fall of Adam and Eve. Uh, they rebelled. They fell. We're not going to read through chapter four. Um, we'll just touch on it real quick. Um, chapter four is interesting. Um, this is the story of Cain and Abel. Um, and you guys can read chapter four. We won't dive too much into it. Um, but there is some interesting stuff that uh, some people take out of it. Do you want to mention it about the seed war? Yeah, sure. So it'll just be really brief. A lot of people, it's actually more common than I thought it was when I first heard about it. But um, that, that going back to that section in chapter three, when it says there'll be enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Well, mm-hmm. there's there's a there's an idea that Cain, the first the first son of Adam and Eve, was actually the offspring of the serpent and Eve. So they take the eating of the forbidden fruit as some adulterous sexual union between the devil himself and Eve based on some Aramaic, which is like a language, a Semitic language, based on this Aramaic Targum, which is a translation of the text. Um, it's really far-fetched. It's really far-fetched. Um, that Targum that they base this this doctrine off of is, I think it's pretty easily refuted. It's not, doesn't hold much ground in biblical inerrancy. Um, but essentially they say that, oh, the, the, the seed of the, the serpent talked about here is actually physical and it's not not spiritual as common christian tradition would say which which i guess my response to that real quick is if you go to the john chapter 8 jesus is talking to the pharisees about this whole idea of whose offspring you are they're all in a dispute basically saying that we are the descendants of abraham our we are God is our father because we are descended from Abraham. These Pharisees, these Jewish leaders are basically claiming that. And Jesus refutes them and says, 
if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Skip a couple of verses. And he says, if God were your father, you would love me for I proceeded forth and came from God. That's in chapter uh, eight, verse mm -hmm. 42. And then in verse 44, he says, you are of your father, the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So that's just basically saying there that who, our father isn't dependent on this physical offspring in the sense of the whole scheme of creation, right? Like, I, I believe in the same sense, the seed of the serpents, the spiritual, the workers of evil versus the workers of good, the, the, the sons of the devil, the followers of evil versus the sons of God who are the, who are the ones in the, in the salvific system there. So I, I don't think that that doctrine or that idea bears much ground, but it's interesting to know. We'll dig deeper into that in later episodes. Yeah. So just so you know, it's called the seed, uh, serpent seed theory, <clears throat> and I don't subscribe to it, but kind of like the gap theory, it's interesting. And so it, it, it empowers you to understand that that is out there, um, but it's not necessarily biblically backed. So when you hear people talk about it or if you come across it, you don't have to be shaken like, oh, my gosh, like the descendants of Cain. Right. Because that's kind of what the serpent seed theory is, is that Cain is the offspring of the serpent and Eve. And then Abel is the offspring of Adam and Eve. And so Cain being the serpent's seed kills Abel. Right. The, the woman's seed, thinking that, you know, Satan is going to stop that, that, that judgment in Genesis 3.15. But that's not what's happening there. It's yeah. definitely not what's happening there. Because that would mean that all the descendants of Cain are like descendants of like, they have like satanic serpent blood. No, it's just. Yeah, like, um, Michael, Michael Heiser teaches on this. I actually mm -hmm. just listened to the podcast with him today. Mm -hmm. Basically saying that the only path that really leads is this racist idea of this ethnic descendants of the devil which mm -hmm. people will use that to trace it back to whatever skin color or race or ethnicity they want to and it's just it's just people making up excuses for racism we see that yeah. in the, the mormons did that we see that in like a lot of other sects of christianity or different denominations i wouldn't a lot of them i wouldn't even call christian but yeah. a lot of them will basically say stuff like that um and use that backing as a way to defend their their idea of yeah i don't know it's just in my opinion it's pretty wicked it's pretty wicked yeah, yeah. so i you know you dig into it you be you you uh you be a berean right like mm -hmm. Acts 17 11 says search the scriptures and see if it makes sense to you uh I don't subscribe to it, but it's interesting to know about because people are talking about it, right? Yeah. We'll, kinda, we'll talk about a lot of stuff that people are talking about that we don't necessarily agree with, but it's really on you and to let the Holy Spirit, you need to let the Holy Spirit guide you through the word and with the spirit of discernment to, to make the decision if this is something I'm going to like subscribe to or not. So yeah. um, real quick in Genesis 4, I just want to say something that uh, I thought was interesting. If you go to the very last sentence of Genesis chapter four, it says, then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Now this is interesting because we're only a few chapters away from the flood. <laughs> um, and it says that men began to call on the name of the Lord. But if you look in this. Uh, uh, so just the real quick. Accordance for that word. 
yeah. real quick for some context of this, right? Like you guys can go back and read the passage, yeah. whoever's listening. But just for some context, Cain killed Abel. God curses Cain. Um, Cain's basically excommunicated from his family. He has to run off and do stuff. He has a bunch of children and and what whatnot. And then Adam and Eve have a new son called Seth. Um, the the verse twenty five of chapter four says, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God had appointed an other another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And then it says in twenty six, as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then it says, then men begin to call on the name of the Lord. So that is just the context, right? Like we're basically skipping several years, goes through the family of Cain, what happened, and then we see that last line. So back to you, Matt. Yeah. Dad. <laughs> uh, so <clears throat> in there where it says men begin to call on the name of the Lord, if you look at the Strong's Concordance, it's the word kalal, uh, Strong's number 2490. And it basically says it's um, to wound or dissolve or to profane or to break, um, defile, pollute. Mm. So <laughs> I, I, I think that maybe a better translation, and it would actually fit the time, right? This is the antediluvian time, which means the pre-flood time, right, between the creation the creation of Adam and uh, the flood of Noah. And this time it, it got pretty crazy. There's a lot of wickedness, a lot of, mm -hmm. a lot of just rebellion. Right. Um, and so it, to me, it makes sense that men began to profane the name of the Lord. Right. Yeah. Like things started to go downhill, not up. I don't think people were like, Oh yeah, let's call upon the name of the Lord. Things are going to get good because you're going to see in just a couple of chapters that it's like, Ooh, that's not so good. It got real bad. It got real bad. But Dr. Chuck um, Whistler teaches on that too. Um, I don't know if you yeah. ever heard Dr. Chuck Missler, great resource for just basically biblical awesomeness. <laughs> Maybe rest awesome. in peace, Chuck Missler, because he just passed away too. 2018, right? Yeah. Man. Yeah, it's sad. We're losing all these great <laughs> biblical men. Sad. Yeah, all these great researchers. Yeah. But anyways, Dr. Chuck Missler teaches on that, basically saying that now the call on the name of the Lord was a bad translation. It should actually be men begin to profane the name of the Lord. So it sets yeah. it on a negative, negative downward spiral towards the flood, which we'll get into right now. Okay. Um, so uh, we're not going to read through chapter five too. Please do that on your own. Um, but chapter five is basically just a big genealogy. It's the family of Adam um, from Adam to Noah. But there's one cool thing I'll also learned from Chuck Missler. Um, that in the list of the names from Adam, their lineage, all the way to Noah, it's 10 generations. And um, those generations or those those men's names are Adam. Whoa, you're, uh, his you're son cutting Seth, out. Seth, his son Enosh. Oh, really? Oh, you are. You're, you're good now. Sorry, you just glitched <laughs> out a little bit. Um, so uh, for the genealogy from adam to noah there was 10 generations there was 10 uh names and it's pretty cool because there's a hidden message in those names because in hebrew um letters uh are numer have numerical values um and they have meanings definitions um so like isaiah mentioned earlier the name adam is the hebrew word for man right simple Okay. Um, and other names also have definitions or meanings, right? For instance, um, so, 
for instance, Yeshua, the Hebrew name for Jesus, mm-hmm. means Yah, Yeshua, saves. means Yah is salvation. God is salvation mm-hmm. is the meaning of Yeshua, Jesus' name. Right. So, yeah, good, yeah. good example. Um, and so from Adam to Noah, you have Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. Some people say Lamech, I say Lamech. So that's 10. And so if you take their names and then translate them into their definitions, what they actually mean, this is what it says. And if you just read it, it's pretty cool. It says, man, appointed mortal sorrow, the blessed God shall come down teaching his death shall bring the despairing comfort or rest. So that's the whole gospel message. Man's been appointed mortal sorrow when we fell and rebelled. But the blessed God shall come down, Jesus, teaching that his death, whose death? Jesus' death, shall bring the despairing comfort and rest. That's the mm. gospel narrative hidden in the genealogy of the first uh, at the first 10 patriarchs from Adam to Noah. Pretty That's awesome. Amazing. It's amazing. So check that out. That's chapter five. Um, take some time to dig in there. It's pretty cool. It talks about how long they lived. Like Isaiah mentioned earlier, Methuselah um, was Noah's grandfather. It's the oldest recorded human ever, 969 years. Still died within that one biblical day of a thousand years. Pretty crazy. Okay, so we're going to jump into our last little section, Genesis 6. Um, and, uh, we'll, we'll run through this real quick and then we'll close out and, um, we'll get ready for our third episode, which we're super excited about, but then you got to understand Genesis six before we get to that. So, um, I'm just going to read Genesis six, one through 12. Please read along with me. This is some good stuff. Um, yeah, here we go. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men of who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Hmm. So, the, so the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the earth, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> sorry, mother son's going to bed. Um, then in uh, verse 9 it says, This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations, Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the Mm -hmm. earth. Pretty crazy. 
So let's break it down. Um, the very first thing that probably should have perked up your ears was the sons of God saw the daughters of men. Sons of God, that's a pretty interesting expression. Um, and it's different than daughters of men, right? Sons of God is a Hebraic expression, the Banai Ha Elohim, or direct creations of Elohim or God, right? So yeah. these are essentially <sighs> celestial beings. These are basically, I, don't, I mean, I don't want to say angels, but kind of like angels, right? Wouldn't you say, Isaiah, like divine creatures? Yeah, well, we'll get into this. We'll dive deep into this actually in our next episode we're going to do. Mm -hmm. um, but the whole yeah. concept is that there are different beings that are celestial, as you said, spiritual beings created. Mm -hmm. And angel, we think of them as angels. We think of the little babies with halos over their heads with wings flying on clouds. That's not the case. Angels are just a, a title of being the, was it Moloch or Molech? Messenger is what the word translated word translated to angel. Um, but that's classifying lots of different types and races of angelic beings, things, mm -hmm. creations. Yeah. So sons of God, Benai Elohim is a direct creation of God talking about um these angelic divine did not want to say divine, but like supernatural but, yeah. entities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a long, convoluted way of of saying they're angels. <laughs> so, so just to like clean it up, like angels from the heavenlies came down to earth, saw the the daughters of mankind, the women, and lusted after them and took yeah. them for wives, and they made it. And the offspring of that union were giants, also known as nephilim in the Hebrew. Um, and we'll dig in deeper, like Isaiah said. We'll kind of unpack this a little bit more. Yeah. But, but the result of it is um, these 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 uh, these hybrid offsprings, angel human hybrid offsprings, were giants. It says there were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So, if you think of like. The, the great heroes of antiquity, we think of like the Titans and the demigods and the Olympians. Those are like secular um, polytheistic perspectives of what the Bible is telling us happened. Angels came down, mated with actual women and created hybrids. And some of them were giants. Um, and we'll dig a little bit deeper into that, I think, in our next episode. But we want to we want you to understand something. Um Later on in verse 12, okay, um, it says, So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And so Isaiah and I, I think in chapter in, uh, in our third episode, we'll dig into a little bit of, a, of that. We'll go into a look at Enoch, and we'll see where some of that uh, corruption took place. What do you think, Isaiah? Yeah, I, oh, I think that's a good idea, right? I mean, we could do five episodes on just this one chapter. It's so yeah. dense. It's so compact. And there's so much deception around it. Like, um, mm -hmm. like I think I was just listening to something by Chuck Messer today that, that talked about, um, it, it, like, this is such an old teaching, the sons of God being angelic beings. But in the modern day, it's so rare that anyone ever hears this mentioned from a church pulpit, right? Right. Um, you heard in our introductory video how we like talking about things that the that the mainstream church usually doesn't like to touch on. Well, this is like this is like the cornerstone for that entire concept of 
What does the church not want to say? We're going to say it. It all starts basically right in Genesis 6. All of it basically starts right here because this is such a controversial subject, but it will really shift the entire paradigm of how you view the entire scriptures because it really brings to life or brings to a new light the entire Old Testament. Yeah, absolutely. Like, when you understand this concept that there were literally angel-human hybrid giants walking around the earth, um, you understand why God did certain things that he did um, and what the whole point of many things he did were for and how it still relates to us to this day and in the scheme of Bible prophecy. Yeah. So real quick, right before we end, I think we've got to close here in a couple minutes, but I think this is important to remember um, is if you remember that prophecy in Genesis 3, 15, right? Um, that enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. Mm. So um, this is an attempt, a satanic infiltration to pervert or contaminate the human genome so that Jesus Christ, right, our Lord and Savior, couldn't come as that blemish-free perfect lamb. This was an interruption attempt. And so um, this contamination that takes place, we'll look at it a little bit closer, but I did want to mention one thing and close with a, a verse from Matthew that I think is pretty cool. And we haven't touched much about this yet, but there are a few extra biblical texts uh, in the Apocrypha, um, the book of Enoch, the book of Jasher, the book of Jubilees, that um, have a lot of, uh, there's a lot of credentials with those books, quoted by Jesus, quoted by Paul, Peter, referenced in, I mean, verbatim in Jude, mentioned by name in Samuel. Um, so these books, uh, they're not in our Bibles. They're still in the Ethiop- uh, Ethiopic um, Orthodox Bibles and their canon of Scripture. They've been in and out of our canon of Scripture for a while. And we can touch more on this, but they're not in our Bible. So, But they're interesting books. So even if you don't consider them to be inspired texts, they're definitely worthy of investigation because it's like a history book. And so if you look at the book of Enoch and Jasher, they go into a greater detail about this incursion of the angels uh, into uh, on earth and, and mating with women. And they actually go a little bit deeper. They talk that not only did they sin against the women, right? Taking women as wives and creating these hybrids, angel-human hybrids, but they also taught the mixture of species, messing with the genetics. And that's pretty interesting. That's pretty fascinating, especially considering where we are in history today with mRNA and DNA and genetic modification and all sorts of things that we're doing with the DNA nowadays. Um, And I just wanted to read something from Matthew 24, 37. I thought this was pretty cool. Um, Just to leave you with this till next time. But Matthew 24, 37 says, I can jump to it real quick. So it's a warning Jesus is giving about what it would be like when he comes back. He says, uh, I'll say 30, uh, verse 36 and 40, verse 37. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall it be at the coming of the son, son of man. So there's a hint there. There's an invitation to dig. So what Jesus is saying, hey, take a peek back at the days of Noah, what it was like back then. It's going to be like that again. It's going to be like that right before I come back. 
And so back in the days of Noah, we see in this antediluvian, this pre-flood world, we see genetic tampering. We see blurring the lines of the kinds. Remember how we made such a big deal in Genesis 1, like he made them after their kinds, and they'll reproduce after their own kind. Well, in Enoch, it talks about how those kinds were blurred. And we'll dig into that in episode three. It'll be pretty fun. Um, but Jesus warns us that it's going to be like that before he comes. And yeah. so if you look at the world today, it's like that. So something to think about. All right, brother, we got to close this out, buddy. Yeah, we do. Also, it's weird having my dad call me brother. But it was hey, kind of weird. Brothers in Christ. Brothers in Christ. <laughs> but yeah. Um, also, um, just a quick note for the listeners. Um, I don't know when we're going to get this published. It's going to take some editing, but I'm going to do it. But I just wanted to make a note about my dad. He just had shoulder surgery recently. Um, so that means he's got a couple months off of work. And just the amazing facial hair we see on him right now. He doesn't usually, <sighs> he doesn't usually have that. Um, but we're currently in a bet with some family. It basically says for the months that he's off of work, he has to grow it out. Because he works at a refinery. And mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't have facial hair because you have gas masks <laughs> yeah. and all that stuff. So what better time, <laughs> right? I don't know. Because I would leave it on a That's light, right. humorous note. We covered a lot of stuff. So Yeah, that was pretty deep. Pretty heavy. Yeah. Um, so for episode three, we're going to dig into more of this Genesis six hybrid giants, Nephilim kind of stuff, mm-hmm. fallen angels, all that kind of crazy stuff. Um, and then we're going to get into the flood of Noah and the tower of Babel, which is uh, largely misunderstood. And, uh, and then, and, uh, hopefully we touch on the divine council. If you haven't heard of that, stay tuned for that because that is uh, another one of those pieces of the puzzle that will help you understand Scripture and Old Testament. and But even more than that, like the whole goal of Messiah, like the divine counsel is, is just as important as uh, Genesis 6 and biblical cosmology to understand like the whole of the whole story. It's so cool. It's so good. So uh, we hope to see you on episode three. Uh, until next time. Put your eyes on, man. Deception's all around, but once your eyes are open, cannot see it. Love you, buddy. All right. Talk to you next time. Love you, Dad. Good night, you guys.